Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest Mark Leverage podcast, this one being for April 2022. And those of you who are regular listeners to the podcast may notice a slight difference in my voice. This is because, unfortunately, having avoided getting COVID for the last two and a bit years, I've finally succumbed and I'm currently trying to recover from it. But deadlines being deadlines, I couldn't wait any longer to record this. So the slightly nasally version of my voice, I hope you'll excuse and you can hear what I'm saying clearly enough. Actually, the whole of this podcast, all the topics, just quite by chance, as it turned out, are all to do with performing. And one of the topics uh, that I wanted to cover was COVID related. So I suppose it's a very neat segue, the fact that I've actually got COVID. Because when the, the restrictions on COVID were finally lifted in the UK, of course, as performers, we went, yes, fantastic. We can get out there and perform live again. Alleluia. We've all been waiting for this. We've, we've suffered, especially, I think, close-up magicians in particular, because one of the things that is important to us is being very close to our audience. And so the thought that we were unable to do that because of COVID restrictions obviously meant we couldn't perform in a way that perhaps some stage performers with segregating the audience members in a larger audience could get away with. Close-up magicians really couldn't. And either all the audience had to wear masks or you simply didn't get the gig. And the truth was, for most of us, we just didn't get the gigs. Uh, so once the restrictions were lifted, then there was a certain amount of conversation amongst magicians and in the magical media about how we were going to protect our spectators from us. Were there going to be certain things which we wouldn't be able to do anymore? For instance, would it no longer be acceptable to audiences to take a prop from us to examine or to shuffle a pack of cards as part of the trick? Would they go, oh, actually, I uh, don't really want to touch that, if you don't mind. And I think there was a certain worry amongst close-up magicians that, that audiences would still be a bit nervous about being as close as close-up magicians require, are required to be in order to perform. But something that perhaps hasn't really had much airtime is a discussion about, well, what about the danger to us as performers? Now, this current sort of COVID thing that I've got, I got, I think I can trace it back to a gig. It was a quite a large close-up gig, but it was in a confined space. Nobody was wearing any masks. And it was obviously, I think, because of the timing of when I then started to feel unwell, then the, the timing is about right. So I think it was probably that. Of course, there's no way of telling. It could be that I went into a supermarket or a shop or a, um, contacted it from contracted it from somebody else in the family or whatever. But that's the most likely source of the show. So what about us performers? You know, are we are we actually because we are mixing with lots of people. If somebody goes to an event and they sit on a table with, with a, a partner and a couple of friends, then apart from waiting staff perhaps who come to the table, then they could isolate themselves on their own table and would only come into contact with a relatively few people who are actually at the event. Whereas the performer, and in this case with me doing table hopping, I mixed with about 15 to 20 different groups, all in the same evening, all in a confined space. 
And so the danger, if that's the right word for me, in terms of contracting uh, COVID, if somebody had it, was fairly high. Just the, the, the numbers involved would say, well, the odds are that you're going to come across somebody who has it. But as performers, you might say, well, can we not wear one of those visor things? But, it, you know, it, even though you, with a visor as opposed to a mask, you can see the performer's face, it does set up a, a barrier between us and our spectators. We like to lean across. We like to interact. We like to look people in the eye. The, the immediacy of the magic that we do is its strength. And so if we're going to start withdrawing, uh, standing further back, not interacting, not having our props handled or examined, it's going to take away so much from what in, 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 in essence is the strength of the magic that we do, that you sort of wonder, well, why are we bothering to do it? So I suppose the truth is that if you think about such a, say in December, November, December, around the Christmas period, where there's often a lot of flu about generally, we go out and we do shows and we catch flu, we catch colds. Well, COVID, thanks to the various jabs that most of us have had, um, is really rather like flu, isn't it? That's what most people's experience has been. And obviously for some unfortunate people, it is worse than that. But for the vast majority of us, that's what it is. And, and I suppose we're going to have to live with this reality and that maybe COVID is going to be around certain times of the year more than others or variations of COVID. And as performers, it's a risk that we're just going to have to take if we want to perform at all. The only alternative is not to bother. I'd like to talk now a little bit about show inquiries and how we respond to them. In days gone by when uh, most inquiries came through directly through a, your website. When somebody made an inquiry, you, you felt that it was a reasonably warm lead because it was coming through your website. You could rightly make the assumption that the person had read some information, watched some video of you performing perhaps. And by the time they actually came to make the inquiry, they were already partially invested in the idea of you coming to entertain and they just needed to find out a price and availability. But of course, a lot of inquiries these days come through these online agencies such as Bark and Add to Event and others. And when you register for one of these sites, although somebody can go to one of those sites and specifically send an inquiry to, because they like the look of what you do personally, generally speaking, they just put their inquiry on and it's that the software then distributes it to everybody who they have on their books for whom that type of show is relevant. And so we tend to receive a lot of inquiries which we have to make a decision about whether we wish to respond to it or not. And I think that sometimes, especially in periods where there the quite a lot of inquiries are coming in, you can find yourself strangely in a sort of um, fatigue of actually responding to all these inquiries. I mean, it takes an effort, doesn't it, to, to respond. It also, there is a, albeit small, there is a cost implication every time you respond to an inquiry. So when you see the details of a show come in, and assuming that you can do the date, and it's not too far away, you find yourself sort of looking and thinking, do, do I want to do this show? Uh, is this the sort of thing that, that I would enjoy doing? Do I, do I really want to put myself out and go to that particular place? 
you find yourself having this internal discussion, I suspect. I know I certainly do. Thinking to yourself, well, do I want to do it or not? So that's the first stage. And then there's this thing, oh, can I be bothered? Or am I too busy to do this inquiry right now? Because the truth of the matter is, when somebody, an inquirer, puts a, an inquiry onto one of these sites, they will get responses very quickly. They will probably get as more than they need within 24 hours. So if you don't either see it or you don't respond to an inquiry that you might be interested in doing within that 24-hour period, the chances of you even being considered for the gig completely disappear out of the window, in my experience. So the speed that with which you now have to respond means that if you, if you don't keep on top of it at all times, you are going to miss out on a lot of potential bookings. So a number of things, so I think the nature of how we do these inquiries has, has, has changed. And this sort of trying to make a decision about whether it's worthy or whether we want to be bothered is an extra stage that wouldn't normally have, have applied. If it comes directly through your website, I automatically, I didn't give it a second thought, I automatically did a show quote, unless it was a date I couldn't do. But even then I would respond and say, sorry, I'm afraid I can't do the date. But when you're not being applied to specifically, then it's not quite so personal. In fact, it's not personal at all. And so when you don't then feel that you want to do it, you don't bother to reply, you just delete it, making it a very impersonal thing from your end as well. So this, this has changed the dynamic of show inquiries. And uh, I think it actually pays us to decide whether you're going to reply. And if so, what are the criteria? If it's within this area and I could do the show, I will always apply. Or are there other criteria that you want to apply that will mean that you won't always have to respond? Now, of course, one of the most important things in a show quote is the amount of money that we charge for the booking. And I've talked before about various ways, if you're not quite sure how to do it, that you can put together some sort of a strategy in order to enable you to come up with a fee that makes sense to you financially, and which also will make sense to the booker. But the thing about the booker is that unless they've booked a magician before, or have some previous experience of entertainers and what they might charge, it can be very difficult for them to assess whether what you're actually asking, the amount you're asking for the performance, is anything more than an arbitrary amount of money that's just been plucked out of the sky. You know, if they go into a supermarket, a customer sees a loaf of bread and can kind of say, well, all right, there's a certain unit cost in making bread, the flour and the process of making it, the packaging and so on, the delivery. And so when you see a price, you, you've got some sort of a context in which to put it. And then again, if somebody goes to, say, a firm of solicitors to get some legal advice and they want to have a discussion with one of the partners of the business, well, then they would expect to pay £400 an hour, say, whereas if they have one of the paralegals further down the food chain in the company, they might only be paying £100 an hour. So they would understand that in 
terms of, a, of getting solicitors and advice on legal matters, it's somebody with more experience and with more expertise is going to cost them more. But I'm not sure that when it comes to entertainment, which is obviously not for most people high on their list of priorities, they necessarily see the same correlation between experience and cost. I suppose if you are a household name in terms of being on the television, then naturally enough, lay people would put you on a pedestal and they'd say, oh, well, he's on TV, therefore that's why he costs so much. But for most of us who don't have that to uh, in a sort of string to our bow, we're the same as everybody else in the local area. So if our fee is disproportionately high, then there will be a lot of people who go, well, why is he 200 quid an hour more expensive than everybody else? What's the reason? The fact that this particular entertainer might have a huge amount of experience and expertise, might provide a better show, knows what he's doing, is more reliable and all the other things, they don't necessarily take that into consideration because I suspect that lay people think that, well, magic tricks are magic tricks and one performer is pretty much the same as another. Well, we would say, naturally enough, that that's not true, of course, because every entertainer has a different personality and puts magic across, hopefully, in a, in a more individual and different way to other people. And so, therefore, sometimes you are paying for somebody who brings a bit of extra to the party, as it were. But I don't know that lay people necessarily think that. The other thing that they don't take into consideration is that they would say, well, I'm only going to book this guy for an hour and he's charging all this money. They forget that, well, actually, to, for you to get to the venue before you start your hour might be an hour and a half's journey there and an hour and a half's journey back. That's three hours of travelling. Then, of course, there's the Preparation time, getting yourself up together, getting ready, getting changed, making sure the props are ready to be used, driving to the venue, doing the gig, coming back and unpacking everything at the end. And sometimes a, a, a gig that is only an hour may take five or six hours in total to complete from start to finish. So if you then take the, the fee that you're being paid for the an hour of work and you spread that over five or six hours, the hourly rate is actually not that much at all. But of course, the lay people don't see that. They don't they probably take that into consideration because as far as they're concerned, it's only the hour that you're actually working that affects them. And so therefore, that's what they look at the charges for and make a qualitative judgment as to whether they feel you're worth it or not. So I, I think it's actually quite difficult for us to, to put across in some ways what it is they're getting for their money because people don't have this judgment that they can make because they don't understand everything that goes behind it and that's where in the old days where you used to discuss more over the telephone what you can provide you can fill in that background in a way that an online inquiry and an online response often doesn't allow you to do so uh, while I'm not suggesting that people should all have the same fee and that we shouldn't have variations of fee, because I think that we should, uh, I think it does show you why some people will think you're expensive and why other people won't think you're expensive. It's just because they have nothing to judge it by and are just considering that what you've the fee that you've quoted is in fact incredibly arbitrary. So at this point, I'd like to have a short commercial break, if you like, because I want to talk to you about a couple of ebook bundles that um, I've put together. 
and which you may not have noticed are available. The first is I've put together all six volumes of my professional worker series ebooks. These are all advice ebooks. Put those into one package. The different titles uh, in this particular series are Going Walkabout, which is obviously, t as the title suggests, is all about advice on how to do mix and mingle magic. There's The Table Magician, which is us the same thing for table hopping. Trade Show Magic, where I talk about how to use strolling magic as a business tool for other companies at exhibitions and trade shows. Marketing Yourself, going through all the different ways that you can market yourself these days. Keeping control, different ways to control all aspects of your performance in order to get the best show out of yourself every time. And finally, learning from experience, which is 20 key facts that I've learned over the 40 years as a full-time pro and that I wish I'd known when I started. These advice ebooks, I, I, I've written these because I wanted to provide a ready readable source for everybody to get information about background stuff. We've all got thousands of tricks probably but the actual techniques of doing certain shows or certain types of shows that information is obviously not readily available people don't bother to write that down or to express that and I decided this was a gap that I wanted to fill it's something that I've got a lot of experience in and I wanted to be able to pass that on and any of these individual um, pro worker series volumes, they cost £10 each, I think are targeted well specifically to give you the real worker's view of these various topics. But of course, if you want to take a holistic approach and, and think, well, actually, I'm quite interested in all of them, then if you want to get the whole of the, the six volumes together, £10 each or £39 buys you the complete package. So you might want to go and have a look at that. The, the other compilation I put together are the four volumes of my Collected Card Magic of Mark Leverage series. This gives you 47 of my card routines. And my card magic is, those of you who have studied it at all, well, no, it, it is actually very practical. I, I'm not a, a move monkey. I can't do lots of complicated com and complex slides. And to be honest with you, I think there's so much card magic that you can do without resorting to that that I haven't needed to over the years. And all my card magic reflects this. And again, each of these ebooks, each of the four costs £10. But if you buy the complete set of all four together, it's just £28. So if you haven't come across those two packages, Go onto my website and have a look because I think you'll find that they constitute not only great advice and also great card magic, but also coming in these particular bundles at terrific prices. When you're a regular performer of gigs, you soon get to realise after you've done quite a few that every audience that you come across is different. Yes, of course, there will be certain points in your show where the reaction you get to something you've done is consistent. Maybe a particularly funny or impressive moment that gets a reaction that is totally expected. But there are also other occasions where audiences can totally surprise you, both in a good way or not necessarily in a good way at all, in a rather unfortunate way. And I think top performers are those who audience watch 
particularly close up where every few minutes you're doing a fresh show and you're having to adjust to the dynamic of a new group. Cabaret and stage performers have, let's say, 40-45 minutes in which to get a measure of their audience and to gradually adapt perhaps what they do to suit that particular group. But for close-up magicians with this, as I say, constant changing of group, you literally have five minutes with one group where the dynamic is one particular way. You can then literally walk a few yards to another table and find a completely different group. What the first group might be really lively and outgoing and full of fun, you go to another group and they're really introverted, quiet, and they don't look in a particularly good mood, perhaps. Now, if you take your show or your performance of your tricks and you do them exactly the same way for every group, I would suggest that while some of the time you're going to hit it absolutely perfectly, if you never change it, there are going to be a lot of other times where you completely miss the mark. If you go up to a table full of introverted people who look ill at ease, and not relaxed and you perform in a way that you would normally perform to people who are extremely outgoing and in a great mood then you could intimidate these people hugely and they may well very much not enjoy what you do whereas if you could quickly spot that they are actually for whatever reason not in the best of moods and you tone it down and you become quieter and you become more the sort of person that they can relax with, then surely that's a really good thing, isn't it? But I think this is a skill, what sort of audience watching and then responding and doing what you do in a slightly different way, with different, maybe with different humour, different patter lines, a different approach, sometimes more aggressive than others. I think this is a skill that top performers get really good at. And that's why they have more good shows than they have bad shows. Now, there are going to be times, and I suspect we've all been there, where a group or a show, for one reason or another, just we just can't get it to go right. It just doesn't feel that it's ever been quite you and them together. It's always been perhaps you against them or them against you. And you don't enjoy it. But hopefully that's in the minority, because if you are responsive to the way an audience is and you are able to adapt your performance in order to be the best possible magician for that particular group each time, then the chances are you are going to have more good shows than you'll have bad shows. But it does rely, and I think sometimes it's it, when there's a lot going on, when uh, it's a busy environment and you might be feeling under pressure, you may be tired, you may not be feeling quite right yourself, to try and perform well, to interact effectively with each individual group, maximising the impact that you do with every group, is quite a strain. But if you can do it, it has, I think, huge benefits. So if you find yourself either going through the motions at a show, so almost mentally switching off, you may want to pull yourself up short and say, whoa, whoa, hold on a minute, what's going on here? How are these spectators reacting? Have they glazed over? Have some of the people on the far side of that table started got their phones out and starting to look on their phones for stuff? Have I, have I lost them? 
Or am, are you just going to plough on irrespective and then go to the next group and think, oh, they don't actually care, they don't want to watch me, that's up to them. I mean, personally, I think we should all try to adapt if at all possible, because although for us, each group that we go to is just simply the latest group, for them, it's a, it could be a special moment. And so maybe the only time they've seen a magician, uh, especially up close. And so therefore, if you can make that experience as as tailored to their mood and to the group dynamic as possible, then the more likelihood is that they, they are going to love what you do. I just recently finished proofreading a new book that is going to be released shortly by Magic Scene Publications. It's all about um, comedy and it's called The Comedy Helpline. And we've done interviews with all sorts of top comedy people to get advice and material to provide anybody who wants to do any sort of uh, comic performance with advice and material that they can readily use. And um, the reason I mention it is because uh, one of the uh, feature articles is on Scott and, and Muriel. Scott and Muriel are international, globe-trotting, award-winning comedy illusion act. And uh, they have a hilarious act. And as part of the interview that we did with them, uh, one of them, I can't remember whether it was Scott or Muriel off the top of my head, but one of them made a very interesting comment about the difference between an amateur magician and a professional magician. And they said, the difference between an amateur and pro, the amateur expects everything to go well in the show and is surprised if something doesn't. And the pro... It's completely the opposite. The pro expects everything to go wrong and is kind of surprised when something goes right. Now, this is not only actually quite funny, but it's, it's also in some ways quite true. I think when you're a pro and you perform a lot, over the years, anything that can go wrong, at some point, it almost inevitably will, won't it? You can't avoid it. You think you've made every possible contingency plan and then one day completely out of the blue often due to circumstances that you probably have no control over something will happen and messes you up and you think oh gosh now got to think about that now and i think it's that almost jaded experience if you like that pros have when they work a lot and also not just pros but very busy semi-pro entertainers who do a lot of shows probably have the same sort of feelings that you start to get to the point where you think oh i'm gonna have to really think carefully here about what might go wrong and what i'm going to do about that and whereas the amateur who does less shows practices up before each show probably and thinks right i'm set i'm all ready to go this is going to be absolutely fine uh, and hopes that everything will go completely right and, and kind of makes the assumption that it will. And then therefore, if somebody something does go wrong, they're really disappointed. Well, they shouldn't really be disappointed because <laughs> it's the nature of the beast. And if you did a lot of shows, you'd soon realise that. So I think this, this idea of thinking through your act, not, not just waiting for something to happen and then responding afterwards and thinking, oh, well, that, I don't want that to happen again. I better do something about that but doing almost a risk assessment on your act and sorting out things that could potentially... I mean, there are some things that are obvious. If you're using invisible thread uh, and there's a chance that the invisible thread can break, and let's face it, there always is, then doesn't it pay to think in advance about 
okay, what am I going to do if that invisible thread breaks? Or if you're using some electronics, for instance, you're using some sort of electronic clipboard that's sending information to your, to your mobile phone electronically, have you thought about what am I going to do if that doesn't work? Have I got a backup? How am I going to respond to not getting the information I thought I was going to get? And I think this is the difference, again, between a pro and an amateur. The pro will think about this perhaps in advance and think, OK, this is what I'm going to do. And we'll put in place a contingency plan to make absolutely sure that in the event of the worst happening, they are, have at least thought about what they're going to do, even if there are occasions when, as I say, you know, you get a one in a million situation <laughs> occurs and you think, oh, never thought that could possibly happen. There are a lot of things that you can predict. So I think taking precautions and, and getting yourself at least mentally prepared for what is actually, if you do enough shows, going to be the inevitable foul up. It actually gives, does make you more confident and makes you more prepared for things should they go wrong. It's certainly better to have thought about things in advance, I would suggest, than to be surprised every time something doesn't go quite right. Well, thank you so much for listening to this edition of the podcast. And I uh, hope, um, hope I've made some sense. I must admit my brain does feel a little bit stodgy, but I've done my best to sound coherent and, so I, and as if I know what I'm talking about. Hopefully next month I will be returning in the fittest of fit health and will therefore find it a lot easier to do this recording without stopping in order to cough multiple times. Have a good month and I'll see you next time. Bye for now.